Hi, I'm Val Hart in San Antonio, Texas, founder of Val Hart and Friends at ValHart.com. Welcome to The Real Dr. Doolittle Show, the show for animals and the people who love them. I've been called a real-life Dr. Doolittle many times in my career as an expert animal communicator, behaviorist, pet psychic, and master healer. My mission and passion is to improve the lives of animals the world over by helping humans learn how to speak their language, how to understand their viewpoints, and heal. After all, our love of animals helps us be better humans, and the more balanced and healthy we are, the more balanced and healthy they can be, too. Be sure and look for my CDs on iTunes, and to find out more about my work and to receive your free Quick Start Animal Talk course, just go to my website at valhart.com. While you're there for a limited time, you can also apply for a complimentary Happy Animal Assessment Session. And if you want to learn how to be your own Dr. Doolittle, check out the world's first complete animal communication made easy system available now on my website at valhart.com. Thank you and enjoy the show. Hi, this is Val Hart, the real Dr. Doolittle, and today I'm talking with Alan Anderson. In 1996, Alan Anderson and Linda, his wife, founded the Angel Animals Network in Minneapolis. They have 14 books about the spiritual qualities of animals, and they've been featured on Oprah.com, The Today Show, ABC's Nightly News, BBC Radio, Washington Post, LA Times, Amazon.com's Hot 100, and Barnes & Noble's Top 10. Congratulations. That's awesome. (laughs) Well, thank you. (laughs) Um, the, The Anderson's 2006 book about animal rescue won the prestigious Animal Society of Journalists and Authors Outstanding Book Award. You've received commendations from the governor, uh, your contributions as authors to the state of Minnesota, um, and you both teach writing at the Loft Literary Center in Minneapolis and donate a portion of your book's proceeds to animal welfare. Today we're here to talk about your book called A Dog Named Leaf. The website for that is a dog named Leaf L E A F dot com. If our if our listeners would like to uh, check that out while we're talking, and in the meantime, welcome to the show. I'm delighted to speak with you. Well, thank you for having me on your show. I'm so excited. This is such a fantastic story. Um, you want to set us up for this, so help us understand a dog named Leaf. Um, so, why did you write this book? Tell us a little of the backstory here. Well, I went through very challenging experiences uh, recently with health, and I wanted to share how important it is to have a companion that will help you through it when you're going through challenging times. And I really wanted to share this story because Leaf and I became such incredible uh, vehicles of love for each other during a time when we both needed that little bit of extra help to get past our own experiences and past that made us who we were today that we worked as a team, and we worked as a team to become better. I became a better human, and he became a better pup. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Ooh. Uh, so tell us a little more about what you were going through, because this is a very powerful story, so people well, know what was happening for you. I uh, was having some dizzy spells, and I uh, went to the doctor, and he they took some x-rays, and I got a call in the office one day. And I was just sitting there, and I was thinking, what a beautiful day. The ditty spells were gone. I was no longer being affected. I was actually doing quite well. And my, I, I work with computer software systems and helping people 
learn how to use them properly, and I travel a lot. So the call came from the doctor who did the test. And the first thing he says, Alan, you know, he didn't have any of the pleasantries that normally you would have. Alan, I didn't quite know who he was at first. He says, Alan, you have an unruptured brain aneurysm. Now, I had the most awful reaction to that after I was got out of my shock, and I kept on, and the first thing I asked him, well, where is it? It's kind of funny because he said, in your brain. And I was thinking, now, that's impossible. I'm a healthy guy. I've been healthy all my life. Things don't do, that just doesn't happen to me. Well, I had a real reaction to that. Yeah. I had. I went out to the hallway. I, I decided to take a little time to just digest this news, and I went down the hallway. And you wouldn't believe, I guess it's just amazing how people are, they're so complex. All these memories started coming back. Of my father, he had a stroke at a young age, and he was just in pain all his life. And he had to be helped, even doing basic things, by other people. I thought about the time when I was a police officer in Atlanta for eight years, and all the people I had to work with or deal with and help during times when they were having problems that were brain damage from various either uh, strokes or operations or basically uh, other things that might have happened that caused them not to be fully functional. And I was thinking, I don't want to be like that. I do not want to have to rely on other people. And I went in the hallway and I sort of sunk to the floor. It was sort of a quiet day. The elevator wasn't going up to our floor very often. And I just wondered, what am I going to do? And I went through a tremendous flow. Oh, I guess the best way of describing it is self-pity. Why me? A broken brain? Seriously, that's impossible. But it began coming to, to light for me to understand that, you know, I have to find out more. And I, you know, I kind of thought, what, what do I have to do? I mean, after I went through my emotional breakdown, so to speak, I decided to go ahead and look at things from a more logical, reasonable, rational level. And I kind of got up off the floor. It took a little bit of effort. I was surprised on how weak I was from the news. It really affected me deeply. And I thought to myself, you know, as silly as this sounds, but maybe this is something that uh, people would understand. I would ask, what would Spock do? <laughs> <laughs> what would Spock do? I love it. <laughs> Get your Vulcan mindset on. Exactly, exactly. <laughs> Rational, logical. Forget the emotions. Let's find out what the uh, what the options are and what's going on with this particular diagnosis. Mm-hmm. So I went back to the office and... Uh, I had a conference call already scheduled, and I was extra quiet, so it really went well because I didn't talk so much. <laughs> okay. I went to the office, my office, and I closed the door. I kind of took an extended lunch. People knew that I was having doing some research, and um, on, they didn't know what topic. So I went to Google, and I typed in brain aneurysm, and then I comma unruptured. And then it came back. All these different sites came back. And I began doing my research. Yeah. It occurred to me I was going to have to tell my wife about this. Oh, you hadn't yet. Mm-hmm. No, I haven't. Of course not. I would. I mean, for one thing, I, she might have. In my mind, in my reaction, my reaction was bad. I was just wondering how her reaction would be, yeah. because she, in my mind, again, I view her as an emotional person, and she would probably have, like, ten times worse than my feeling devastated by the news. And, of course, remember, we're writers. 
And we need functionality in order to accomplish our work as writers. <laughs> it helps, yes. Yeah. Uh-huh. Well, I did um, go ahead and uh, looked up all the different Internet sites, and, you know, there was just awful, awful horror stories of botched surgeries, of people being in pain the rest of their lives, of losing focus and being able to remember recent things that happened to them. And and basically, you're different. Even if you had an unruptured brain, brain surgery, uh, aneurysm and you had brain surgery to correct it, there would always be something there that would be different about you, so you would never really be fully operational, at least what I was reading on the Internet. Mm-hmm. Right. So I was thinking to myself, what am I going to do about Linda? She's my wife, and we've been married for many, many years. <laughs> been partners in writing and doing other things together for a lot of years. It's just been a delightful. Actually, she's the love of my life, and I don't wanna, didn't want to upset her. So I thought to myself, well, I'm just not going to tell her. I'm just going to convince her to go visit her mother in Texas. And she can uh, spend a week or two down there. I'll have the operation. And then I was thinking, what a great idea that is. Oh, my God. Uh, That's a rational way to go. I'm cringing on my end. Okay, go ahead. (laughs) Sorry. (laughs) I think if I were her, I might have killed you if if the brain thing didn't get you you her. Well, that next thought, what you just said, came to mind. Uh-huh. So I thought, yeah. <laughs> I thought, well, she she really would be upset if I didn't tell her. Yes, I think so. She's your best friend. She needs mm-hmm. to know. <laughs> okay, go ahead. Go well, on. I thought to myself, well, I'm going to do something that I do at work. And this, you know, sort of a, I thought it was a great idea. I thought it was actually a brilliant idea. Because I often do reports and I do analysis for different systems that are needed in different uh, organizations and for software systems. And I always sort of have the collected data from them and then put it into a document that's easy to read and understandable with options and all the other things. So I thought to myself, well, I'm going to write up a uh, fact sheet about this situation. I'm going to give her the overview. I'm going to talk about the different uh, success stories that were part of what I researched, none of the horror stories, and I would talk about and write about some of the options. It would be a very, it would be a one-pager, basically. It would be very simple to do. You're basically doing a book proposal. (laughs) 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 Oh, it's so classic. You know, we go, we fall back on our our coping mechanisms, you know. It just sounds so perfect that you would have done that. Mm, It It makes so much sense. Yeah, go ahead. Well, I went ahead and looked it up, and I wrote, I mean, I was thinking to myself, I do need to tell her what it is, but I don't want to use the word brain aneurysm or brain surgery. That's a little bit much to take. (laughs) So I kind of thought, well, let's look at a different way of phrasing this. Let's say surgical procedure. And I thought, that was so really smart of me to think of that. (laughs) So I thought, (laughs) surgical procedure, and I had the most, beautiful document. I wrote it. I was careful with every aspect of it. I made sure that it explained the situation, but I was kind of hoping she'd read it, say, you know, put it aside, say, okay, well, looks like looks like you had a little surgery, no big deal. Well, I gave it to her that night. As you can well imagine, <laughs> she yells, and this is word for word, you're going to have you have a brain aneurysm, you're going to have brain surgery, and you gave me a memo? <laughs> oh, my God. It's so, oh, it's so funny. I really oh, it's horrible. It's horrible, but it is so funny. It's so human. 
love it. Oh, What's she it? stared at my fact sheet. I was so proud of it. I said, well, oh. you know. <laughs> it took you a long time to write that. Oh. I told she didn't her, appreciate I said, your hard work, did she? No, I don't think she even, even for a moment appreciated all the work I put into it. <laughs> okay, keep going. Mm. Well, I I I wasn't. I, I started talking. I said, "Well, you know, I didn't really know if you needed to know." And and then I looked at her and I thought, "It's pro- probably better to stop talking at this point." <laughs> <laughs> you had a good brain cell kick off. Finally. <laughs> yeah, finally. Okay, go ahead. Well, you you know, you were in shock. I wasn't. I that's the excuse I'm take, taking. That's really true because uh, I really yeah. You know. Yeah, you were. You were in shock, and we do really strange little things when we're in shock. <laughs> and, yeah, I mean, I mean, it's true. You know, in hindsight, this is funny, but oh, I just can't imagine the 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 trauma of what you were dealing with at that time. No, it was it was definitely affecting me and my quote yeah. rational thinking. Yeah, it's um, Okay, so go on. So I, I so I went over and held her hand, and she said, "This is not a mental situation." And I said, "Okay, I agree." <laughs> <laughs> So so we talked. We were on the couch and we talked a little bit. We talked a lot, quite a bit about what was all at stake and and all the other uh, aspects of what we were trying to accomplish by sharing stories about how important people and animals and that bond is to make life better for all of us. So we were doing this for a lot of years. And so we sat, we talked, and we we kind of understood that uh, from this point forward we would be talking and not writing fact sheets about different things. I think so, that's a wise plan. Uh, uh, you know, on the other hand, Alan, I really have to kind of support you on that because your process helped you come to terms and find a way to cope with the devastating news. And, you know, and you needed to, to have done that, you know, it, for, exactly, for whatever reason you did. So. That is exactly right. It really was a method for me to understand what was happening on a level where I wasn't just, you know, an emotional wreck. Yeah, it, it, it is exactly right. And I, you know, <laughs> I kind of use that sometimes and say, you know, it really did help me to be able to write that fact sheet. And she said, yeah. no, it was a memo. So, <laughs> <laughs> okay, go ahead. Well, about so, six so months. Yeah. Well, six, you know, six months earlier we had adopted a dog from the shelter. His name was, uh, we had named him Leaf because he had originally been called Harley because the security cameras saw the people who dumped him at the back door riding a Harley. Oh, great, yeah. So he was going through an amazing crisis. He apparently came from sort of an abusive, we're not sure, an abusive background because he cringed when he was touched. He was afraid of mm-hmm. of large men. He was all the things that you would think about when it comes to somebody who's just shattered in so many different ways. Wow. And... Um, but we didn't really know all this when we adopted him. All we saw was a cute little black cocker spaniel about a year old and uh, wanting to leave and come home with us. Yeah. And we knew it was right because we had feelings about this and the connection that was started, started almost uh, immediately as we, we spent time with him at the shelter. Mm-hmm. Well, I spent a lot of time, as we got home, a lot of time at night... Um, with him because he would howl constantly. He would be so afraid. He would be cringe when he was touched. He was hearing noises. He was just constantly on edge to the point where he um, uh, just disrupted the entire house. Mm, okay. Yeah. 
I would spend time with him in the evening. I would take him out like two or three times a night because I didn't want him to think the house was his bathroom. <laughs> so yeah. it would took some effort. And so one night, I guess the second night actually, we were up all night. I was up all night. We just He just couldn't sleep. I decided to take him into my office area, my room, and I would get into my recliner chair and I would put him on my chest. And I would let him hear my heartbeat. And I held him and I just come up saying, we love you so much. You're safe now. Everything's going to be okay. This is all going to be normal. You're going to be fine. And then in the process of doing that, I love to chant a certain word that helps me have a better feeling about my life and more of an understanding of me being more than just a physical body or a mental person or an emotional person, even though I do love logic and reason. Sure. Yeah, Mr. Spock. Mm -hmm. So I would say, you're such a beautiful boy and you're going to be fine and let's get some sleep. And I would say, you chant the word H-U or H-U and I would say, H-U. And then I would say, you're so sweet. Look at how beautiful your face is, your nose. I love you so much. And I would chant and sing that word again. So always, 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 he began to snore. He would go right to sleep. He would (laughs) feel relaxed. Mm -hmm. And you know, when he began to snore and go right to sleep, I was able to go to sleep. So it was very much a beneficial thing that we both had during the evening and and then in a couple hours he'd go back outside and we had a hard time training him because he just wasn't used to being inside he looked like he came from some sort of puppy mill and then was in a a location where he was outside constantly so it was definitely a, a, a working a work in progress now let's say let's say he came from an arena of abuse and he looked at people and looked at things as never to trust them, and always to look at things in a very, very negative way in order to keep himself as a survivor. Yeah. He would always do that. He, As an individual, he would take care of himself, and he would not be able to trust anyone to take care of him. In a real sense, where I came from was a family situation where my father was in kind of a similar situation, even though he had some good qualities. He definitely viewed me in a way that maybe was negative and was definitely someone that would look at me and was always had that disappointment that I wasn't all that he wanted to be. And there would, of course there would be drinking and other aspects of his personality that was always part of that and a little violence here and there. But that was where I came from and I was thinking I don't really trust people because the person I was supposed to trust really wasn't trustworthy. Yeah. So because of that, even though I had a degree in journalism, I went into police work to have the uniform on and to know I could protect myself <laughs> from all the distrustful people out there. Wow. So I came from a background similar to Leaf where I was really looking at life from a lens of experience where people really were not good and they often did things that were awful to one another. And, of course, eight years in my police job, I saw it repeatedly. So I just reinforced that view of life and that view of people. Right. So when Leif and I got together, it was sort of like, oh, I know you. I have, a, <laughs> I have a little bit of the same issue you have. And Leif looked at me and says, I think I could just see it in his eyes. Yeah, I know you. <laughs> yeah, you got each other at a really deep level. Uh, I call so, that the human-animal body-mind connection. That's how we mirror each other. You know, we do. We tend to attract and draw others to us that have shared views, shared experience, shared, shared beliefs 
or opposite ends of it so that we can help each other heal uh, from whatever that wound is. No, that's, that's beautifully said. Thank you. Yeah, I didn't mean to interrupt. But I'm just, no, not at all. I'm I love that. such I love a that. beautiful <laughs> correlation, and you're giving us such a beautiful example of that. Mm-hmm. Um, okay, so keep going. What happened next? Well, we, we began to heal together. Uh, we began to grow in those six months prior to my diagnosis. He was still, in a very real sense, shattered. Yeah. He wasn't one aspect of him. He wasn't strong. He was sort of like flighty and different in different situations. We we had a animal communicator call in, and we were on the phone with her, and she said, I'm having the hardest time communicating with Leaf. He just doesn't want to talk to me. And finally, this was soon after he was adopted from, uh, by us from the shelter, and finally he began talking just a little bit when she says, you're safe now. Mm-hmm. These people love you and will always love you, and you will always have that as your home. So he began, I think, communicating, and I could tell looking at his face there was something different going on. And then she says, oh. And then as she said, oh, his head went down all the way to the floor, and he closed his eyes. He was so embarrassed. He told her, I was left. Mm-hmm. And to him, that was the most awful thing in the world. He didn't know what he did wrong. He, all he knew that he was left. Mm-hmm. And the people that he was with just left him. Yeah. And you can feel and you can see his little body feeling so insecure, so weak, and so completely abandoned that um, I just felt so sorry for him because I knew that that would have been devastating for a a young dog that didn't really understand all the intricacies of what people do and how they do it and why they do it. (laughs) He just knew that he was not of any value. So we, uh, but we, we, we became buddies. We became friends, and slowly but steadily, he began to trust me more and more. Even to the point where he allowed me to touch him and pet him, and and we were we were getting more and closer and closer. And he was beginning to look at people a little differently. Oh, one example would be he. We were walking down the sidewalk one day, and he growled at a lady who came up to uh, to say hi to him and visit him. And I and I, you know, she quickly backed off and moved on, but I, I told him in the car as we were driving a little later, and I was taking him to dog park because I wanted him to get some of that exercise he needed. Mm-hmm. I said, Leaf, why did you growl at that lady? She just wanted to pet you and be nice to you because she likes you. Mm-hmm. And I lectured him like a little boy. He ignored me. He yawned. <laughs> I said, this is unacceptable. You've got to... Now, I want you to show me one thing, Leaf, that you... you I want you to show me one thing. This is really important. Listen to me, Leaf. Look, look at me and listen to me. I want you to be nice to one person today. I don't care who it is. I want you to be nice and show me that you can be nice. So we went to Dog Park. And it's a smaller dog park. It was one of the smaller ones near our home. And we uh, and there was an older man, kind of looked like he was having a hard time walking, and an elderly man, and he was throwing his tennis ball for his little little white fluffy dog, and the dog would go and bring it back part ways and never really got the concept of retrieving the ball and bringing it back. <laughs> So it was he was playing a, a different game. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so he would get up and he would kind of hobble over to the ball and bring it back and throw it again. Finally, he was just too tired to get up again. And Leaf was watching this because we were up throwing his ball. But he dropped his ball at my feet, ran over to where the man threw the tennis ball, 
picked up the tennis ball, ran to the man, dropped it at his feet, and he looked at me as if saying, see, I can be nice. (laughs) And then to put icing on the cake, to put icing on the cake, the man looked at me and says, your dog is nice. Oh, Oh, if you only knew the the back story. Wow, that's awesome. Run away, leave. (laughs) Woo! I love it. I love it. Yeah. Oh, it was was great. He was so wonderful. I mean, uh, and then he was showing me that he was listening after all, and I'm glad that that happened because this happened over and over again with different situations that he was in where he was beginning to open up and actually show what I would say is compassion and empathy for others that needed him to help during a time when he could could help. Uh, One more quick example was we went to a dog supply store, pet supply store, and there was this young boy around eight, and he wanted to pet Leaf, and Leaf was busy at the, because he had everything imaginable that dogs like at the bottom section of the shelf, so he can poke his nose and hear the squeaks, or he can shoplift biscuits, or whatever else was down there, so he was just having a blast. Well, this little boy came over, and he said, may I pet your dog? And I said, well, yes, but he's kind of scattered, and he's kind of having, you know, like all the smells, he's really excited, but... I said, Leaf, come over here. And so he ran over, and the boy petted him once, and then he went back to squeaking the little toys to see which one he wanted to take home. And he looked at me, this little eight-year-old, and he said, my dog died yesterday. And I said, and I was thinking, what should I say? Should I have all this empathy and sympathy and all the other things that maybe I would want to deep down say, or do I say something that he needed at that moment? And I thought to myself, all he needs is acknowledgement that it hurts. Yeah. So I said, it must hurt a lot. Yeah. And he said, yes, it does. And he talked a little about, about the dog and at the end of the life, not having any memory and having all the problems that it was a golden retriever. It was mm-hmm. definitely a very sad ending, mm-hmm. uh, but basically a long life. And so Leaf was listening. I was surprised because he wasn't poking his nose in any of the toys. And he actually walked back and sat down in front of the little boy, and the little boy was petting him as he talked about what happened. Oh, wow. I was so impressed with him. I was so proud of him to be able to do that. And he was calm, and he was sitting there, and he was letting the boy pet him. And I saw in the boy's eyes a little bit of light come back. He was feeling a little better, and I was thinking, wow, this this little pup has has a special quality when he needs to have it to help someone who really is in pain. And that was so sweet to see that happen. Yeah, so sounds like we have a born therapy dog. You know, <laughs> I, I mean, really, a, a dog that mm-hmm. knows when others are in pain and responds. That's that's and, true. I haven't thought of yeah. it that way, but that's really that's actually true. Yeah, it's not, it would. I would imagine it would be part of Leaf's purpose mm-hmm. that you helped him find. Uh, you know, I mean, I mean, in that moment, it was so clear. Yes. Wow. It, it was beautiful, and I was so proud of him. But I'm, I wrote down therapy dog because that is actually something that really we could pursue with him if he has, since he has a natural talent. Because there are other other times when he was there when needed, and of course with me, he was definitely there. Yeah. So um, so keep going, and I, I do. I want to get back to you because you had some just miraculous. Uh, is it? Oh, it's such an amazing story. Keep going, Alan. <laughs> I'll try to stop interrupting you. Okay. Oh, no, no. This is good. <laughs> Go ahead. Okay, so I have this brain aneurysm, unruptured. Yeah. 
And in the process of doing additional tests, we found out that I have a major blood clot aimed at my heart. So all of a sudden, from a healthy person to somebody who is, in fact, quite unhealthy. And actually, these are two situations where both are life-threatening. Yeah. Now, the miraculous... The miraculous part of this is with the brain aneurysm, the dizzy spells had nothing to do with that. It was just a way for me to get the test needed to find it. Right. And as far as the blood clot, when they was the additional test caused a big knot in my uh, leg area, and when they did a sonogram because the knot was there, they found a blood clot that had nothing to do with the knot. So two things that happened that were not related caused me to find two things that could easily have taken my life. And it was just a wonderful idea that somehow, some way, you know, uh, some something special was happening where I was going to find and be able to take uh, take care of these two issues or these two medical problems. Mm-hmm. Yes. So I found out all this, and you know, a lot of people have uh, incredibly vivid dreams, and I had one that was so real and so completely telling me one thing that I really became a little little concerned. Not just a little concerned, I was actually thinking this was a premonition. Okay. And my dream was that I was looking out and there was this long line of thousands of people and they were all going into this amazing building. And this building was looked finite at first, but then it, it began to move and shape and it was just everything that you would think you know, that could possibly be in this giant dome structure that, you know, it seemed like it just seemed like it went on forever. And I heard people talking about this is the building of life. Mm-hmm. And I was thinking to myself, I know what the building of life is because I knew inside that building there would be all the books of the world, all the relationships, possible relationships. There would be forests and oceans. Everything that we have in life would be inside that building. So all these people that were entering the building all had a ticket to enter the building of life. Everyone had a ticket except me. And I was scared. I was devastated. I looked around. I saw all the ticket counters were closed. I saw my wife, Linda, with our friends moving in the line, and they were moving so quickly. They were going so far ahead. I was being left behind. I wasn't even close to the line. I couldn't. I was just feeling so abandoned. And then I thought, well, I'll, I'll just get into the line and try to go. And everyone looked at me. They sneered at me. They said, you don't have a ticket. You don't belong here. You you just don't belong here. And I was had to leave the line. I was alone. I was abandoned. I, and no one ever looked back. No, The people that I love, the woman that I love, never looked back. As if I'd never existed. Now, when you have a kind of a vivid experience like that, that is as real as anything in the day, day hours, you, you think, and I woke up sort of in a sweat because I knew this was actually something that my subconscious might be trying to let me know that I couldn't face at a conscious level because it was so completely devastating. Well, Leaf was on the side of the bed when I woke up, and he jumped up, which was very unusual, and I was able to hold him which, again, was very unusual. (laughs) And he was on my chest, and we were just talking, and I was telling him it was only a dream, and I looked over at my wife. She was still asleep, and (laughs) it was was really nice to see him there. He was giving me comfort in in the time when I really needed comfort after this this nightmare. Yeah. Well, I was telling Linda 
and I thought about it. I thought, well, maybe I won't tell her, but then we went through that before, so I better tell her. <laughs> <laughs> no memos this time. No memos. You better no tell memos. Her. <laughs> <laughs> so I was telling her in detail about the dream with the idea of not having a ticket. And of course, the mental images of the ticket and the, and the paper and all the other things yeah. came to mind. Leaf was laying on the floor, his all four legs were spread out, and he seemed to be listening intently. And I, you know, as I told Linda about the dream, she said, "Well, in one of her Linda wisdom notes, she said, did you go back to the dream to try to change?'" It? I said, "No, I woke up and when Leaf comforted me afterwards, and yeah. even she knew that this might be something that is well, she knew it was something we had to pay attention to, and of course, it stuck with me from that point forward." Right. Later on the day, Leaf started doing a behavior that we never saw before. He would go to the. Uh, the the uh, table in the living room and with his paw push the magazines and the newspapers on the floor and then he would rip up those papers and shreds and slivers of paper and he would hold them in his mouth and bring them over to me and when I didn't take them he would drop them at my feet and I was thinking at the time I was really not very clear headed and it didn't occur to me but he must have got something where I really needed to hold a piece of paper a ticket Ah, or, yeah. <laughs> Daddy the ticket. Yeah, and yeah. he was just trying to give me what I needed in order to feel good about the fact that I was going to survive and know that I was going to survive. And he kept on doing that day after day, and finally I put all the papers on the dining room table so he would stop doing that. But uh, he he picked up, and maybe it was the way I described it to, to Linda with all the emotional images of not having that ticket where he knew that's what I needed and wanted. Well, we proceeded and we got closer to the surgery date and of course that was in the back of my mind and he was all there always there with me. He was sitting at my feet when I was typing up all the details of our complicated lives in a you know, just in case manual so Linda can continue things that with our writing and all the things that we do. Right. And um so on surgery date we I took him to a uh a, a Basically, a dog daycare. They have, you know, Animal Planet playing, and they have all the different games and playing. <laughs> the dogs could could enjoy themselves, and and he likes it there. He really did enjoy it. So, but I went to the hospital, and I went through the process of going through um, the uh, entry of it, getting into the hospital with all the paperwork for the surgery. And um, one of the things that I noticed, I mean, I went to visit my. Uh, family that were in the waiting room before I was going into surgery and I went back into the surgery prep room and and it was all very beautiful. I kept on seeing Leaf's image in my mind's eye. It was sort of like I just could not, what was it about this guy that comforted me so much? And um, as I was going into surgery, this, this chaplain came by and said all the most perfect things that she could possibly say to make one feel like, well, if this is the end, this is a really good send-off. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> and she was just glowing with light. She had all the uh, just such a sweet innocence about God's love and cycles of life and all the words that I really, really, really needed to hear. Well, I went into surgery, and of course, everyone was very kind and they were very gentle. And as a mask was coming down to put me to sleep for the surgery, I saw Leaf once again in my mind's eye with a piece of paper in his mouth. <laughs> and he dropped it. And I reached out 
inwardly in my mind's eye and touched the piece of paper. And I knew, at that moment, I knew beyond a shadow of a doubt that I now held in my hand the ticket to life. And I just was so touched, and then I knew that everything was going to be okay because my dog delivered to me my ticket to life. Wow. Ah. (laughs) Oh, my God. I've got chill bumps. all. Oh. It was right. a, it was a it was a moment. I mean, I it was only a, a, at the most four or five seconds before the uh, mask reached me and I was out. But I right. knew, I knew, and this is the best part of going into a surgery and going unconscious is that yeah. you you carry with you the fact that you knew you'll be okay. Yeah. yeah. Wow. Oh, it's brilliant. Mm. It's so brilliant. It's such a it's like an epiphany that that moment changed everything for you so your whole life you didn't have your the ticket to life <clears throat> there was you know like you said you were abandoned you didn't weren't able to trust someone you should have been able to trust you had all these experiences you know feeling not part of it like everybody else like leaf yes um and then in that one moment um you got it it's like not only did he give you the ticket to life so that you have it um but he found it himself. And I think that's absolutely brilliant as well. So he also searched it out. So you, you partnered on this, and he found it and brought it to you. So not only did he give it to you, but he gave it to himself. It, it, yes, absolutely. Yeah. Oh, woo. Mm. All right. I think I'm ready for more. <laughs> <laughs> We have to sit with and process that one for a while. Oh, my gosh. All right. So, obviously, you came through the surgery, which I'm so delighted to, to know. Um, but so tell us what happened next. <clears throat> well, apparently the surgery was much more complex than they had anticipated. Uh, the particular uh, aneurysm was had a very thin layer of, of uh, vein and uh, actually was, according to the doctor, it was good that I took care of it because it was, in fact, something that would probably burst within a short period of time. But he uh, didn't—he didn't want to scare anybody. But he did just say that uh, this surgery is something that would allow me not to have to worry about that for a long time to come. Oh, good. Um, okay. So that was nice, and uh, we went home, uh, and um, and Leaf was there during my my time when uh, I was healing and. Uh, of course, when after surgery they they give you steroids and other things where you think you're Superman. <laughs> yeah. And that was something that uh, my wife Linda did not like. Superman yeah. is not supposed to be Superman today. <laughs> mm, probably not in a complication after surgery. No. No, not at all. Mm, probably not. No. But you know, I noticed one thing. You you were what you said earlier about giving me the ticket of life, but more than that, giving me something that allowed me to be free. Free of the the pain of the past, free of the fear that um, people would be um, harsh and mean and all the things that I thought people were. I began looking at life differently, and I noticed that he did too. We began looking at people, even the simple things of a father-son throwing a ball to each other or a dog chasing a ball or anything related to family. You began showing and seeing the love. And began seeing and feeling the gratitude that I was alive and feeling appreciative of every moment. It began letting me live the life I was supposed to have lived. 
And the same with Leif. It began allowing Leif to live the life he was supposed to have lived, and he would have lived if he had went into a home as a puppy, a loving yeah. and cherished. A loving family, yeah, yeah. cherished puppy. So both of us, through this experience, began seeing things, in, my, in especially from my viewpoint, seeing things with a lot more love and light, and basically allowed us to kind of get rid of that, that oh, the, the dread of, the past coming to, to, you know, coming up to bite you, or the fear of the future coming back to bite you, or right, even right. the current moment, thinking, oh, at any moment something bad will happen. I mean, all that began to dissipate, and it was truly a healing on a lot of different levels. Yeah, that makes so much sense to me. Oh. So in that epiphany moment, you both got your ticket to life, and the the filter or the uh what what you were viewing the world at, uh, at from was cleared so that you could see it and view it and experience life completely differently and yeah. what you saw and felt was love and gratitude and light and thinking probably connection mm-hmm. um and support and encouragement and inspiration and all those wonderful things I even went and took dance lessons with Linda. I never danced in my life. It was a it was a, a different life, and we were just thoroughly laughing and enjoying things that we never would have done before. Our previous lives were always task oriented, to do list, multitasking. Because as writers of uh, of of books about animals, and the and uh, people and their relationship, that bond, we were constantly doing that year after year, and of course working day jobs because, as you probably well know, writers don't often, unless they're like the best-selling people in the world, are often able to live off their writing income. So it's definitely a to-do. But that point forward, it was different. We were really enjoying each other, our lives. Leif and I were spending a lot of quality time together, and he was exercising and playing and facing his own fears, actually jumping into water. Wow. And we leave. That's awesome. Oh, I love it. That's a pretty dramatic healing journey, Alan. So it's such it's a brilliant synchronicity of divine timing and planning. Don't you think? It is, yes. Yeah, so yeah, so Leaf came in early enough before all this came down that you could actually have some time to bond and connect and get to understand each other and, you know, partner up. Um, And then you went through this experience, had your epiphany moment that changed everything. And then you wrote this magical book, um, and the subtitle subtitle on it is The Hero from Heaven Who Saved Your Life. And I think that is just so, so brilliant, so moving. Ah, very touching. Thank you. Thank you I for actually, bringing the story out. <laughs> about three years ago, I was thinking that we were going to write the book, or I was going to write the book, and I actually had been writing stories in, about Leaf and about my experiences. <clears throat> but when the publisher came and said they would like it, I kind of backed off because it was still too painful for him and mm-hmm. for me. But I noticed that he was not really ready to deal with being talked about and written about, and the, especially those times before he became the leafy is today because that was all very painful for him and 
and I was also going through a lot of pain and didn't really want to dredge up all the all the suffering we had been through. Yeah. And then uh, recently, about a year ago, I uh, I went ahead and started looking at it again. More time had passed, and and Lee seemed to be okay with it at that point. So we both decided to go ahead, and I I hate to say this, but we both decided to man up and share our story. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. You boys, man up now. It's time to share the story. I love it. That was the message. That was the memo, right? <laughs> that was your memo. <laughs> love it. Yeah. yeah. Well, I'm glad you did. Um, and I know that you also have some insights for others who are contemplating reinventing themselves to do whatever we are meant to do to fulfill our purpose here. Um, did, do you have a few of those that you could share with us? Well, there there are a few, but I think the most important part of reinventing yourself is get a dog. <laughs> <laughs> have a cat in your life. If you can't because of your situation, go to the shelter and volunteer whenever you can to help animals. Yeah. Yeah. That is re- because you see, when you're re- reinventing yourself, you need to be viewed by others as who you truly are deep inside. And that is really somebody who is someone that is basically able and completely oriented towards love. And if you look at that and you look at the animals in the way they view you and view yourself in the same way, you can't help but reinvent yourself for the better. For your for your life, for the family and friends in your life, people will see a spark in you that you, they never would have seen before because you're seeing yourself and you're allowing to see yourself as your dog or as a dog at a shelter would view you because they see inside of you that spark that uh, some would call it soul, whatever it might you might call it. There's something inside of you that shines very brightly for animals. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, and that's a wonderful tip. Very interesting. Okay. Um, do you have another for us today? I, another, what, another what? I'm sorry. Another insight for people re- wanting to reinvent themselves. And so once you have an animal in your life, whether you're borrowing them by being a volunteer mm-hmm. or you actually have taken one on um, to be in your life, uh, anything well, else? Well, we talked about this earlier, and I really just wanted to mention it again because it's helped me so much. And it changes everything. When you change, or when I change, from a person who looked at life and looked at the world and thought, I uh, want more. I don't like what I see. I'm, I wish uh, it wouldn't go this way. I really don't like that person. I mean, all these judgments, all these elements in your brain that feed into a certain viewpoint of yourself and of others, if you change that, and it's just a simple change, but it takes a little getting used to and a little effort to do it to one of gratitude and non-judgmental. Ah. If you, if an individual, and I've learned this from experience, <laughs> hard-fought experience, if I look at an individual and see the very best of that individual, which in fact is something special inside that is beyond what they do, their emotional state, their mental capacity, it doesn't really matter, but you see something special, maybe a spark of God, you see soul, you see love, you see light, and you know that no matter what, that person is everything in a very perfect way, no matter what that person's going through or doing or uh, operating as, 
And if you view it, if I view that person that is at, at, that at the highest level, then my way of dealing with people and my, uh, oh, I don't know, my, my love becomes more real and more complete without having the pollution of judging come into play. I like how you said that. Your love becomes more real and more complete without the judgment. Yes. Yeah. And that is a really interesting way to look at that. It's it's like uh, you something you said earlier. It's like uh, loving Leaf and him loving you in your partnership and connection and journey together has made you a better human and has made him a better dog. Yeah, that's absolutely true. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Okay, so um, I know we're a bit over time at the moment, but I, I wanted to give you, a, I, I want to know how and why uh, you and Linda started the An- Angel Animals Network. What is that, and why did you start it? Well, uh, we um, in, in the late 90s, we moved to Minneapolis from Atlanta, and we uh while we're walking around one of the beautiful lakes in the Twin Cities, which is Lake Harriet, with our, at that time, dog named Taylor. She was a yellow lab. Okay. She always had a goofy grin on her face, so people, as they passed us as we were walking, were always saying, oh, your dog is smiling, or your dog is, is so loving. And because of Taylor, the individuals walking by, even if they were feeling down, would lighten up. They would start yeah. feeling a little bit better. So as we were walking, we were talking about, well, what do we want to do with the rest of our lives? You know, we always have to work, but we can always do something else that would bring more love into this world. And and we love animals. We love writing. So why don't we write about people in their relationship with animals? Well, I wrote a question. I said, you know, what are you learning? And I used the word spiritual. What are you learning in in the realm of spiritual lessons from your, your dog or your cat or your pet or your animal? Are you learning, you know, is there love, unconditional love? Are you learning... Um, to show empathy, courage, all the elements that make us better people. And I put this on poster boards. Back then, the Internet wasn't so you know, completely encompassing. So I, <laughs> I put this on coffee shops uh, and different and grocery store uh, bulletin boards. Wow. And, and That's great. Within about 60 days, we had hundreds of stories. Wow. And they would say, I, no one's ever asked that, and I would never tell anybody because I don't want to be ridiculed. Or I don't want to, you know, think I'm crazy. But you know, my, and they would go into these amazing stories, these beautiful stories. So we wow. started a printed newsletter. Wow. Okay. And uh, it got very popular. It became very popular. We even had a, a, a sort of a home office uh, from friends of ours in London that did the uh, the, the uh, UK uh, uh, distribution. Awesome. Ooh. Okay. Uh, it was fantastic. And, of course, you know, on our little Word 97 on our computer, we would do the newsletter. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. Oh, so, God. Uh, Pre, Pre-Internet pre world. Uh, this, this is just, just amazing. Well, there yeah. was a, the basic of an Internet, but it wasn't like it is today. No, it's, no, not at all in the 90s. <laughs> mm, yeah. <laughs> I love that. So you started this fantastic newsletter. It was so popular. You actually had it here in the U.S. and also in the U.K., yeah, oh, that's awesome. subscribers all around the world. It was fantastic. Yeah, it's great. So we had so many stories. We got an agent, a New York agent, and we went ahead and found a publisher. So we went ahead and and, and published the first book, uh, Angel Animals, Exploring Our Spiritual Connection with Animals. Cool. And it was an anthology of all these people and their amazing stories. Okay. Now, what took the book from 
to be noticed was Willard Scott on the Today Show, holding it up and telling everyone on his segment of the show, this is a great little book about animals, <laughs> angel animals. So, so all of a sudden, we were getting the articles that were in the AP, that were on the papers around the country, and different, uh, different uh, uh, imita- imitations to doing different interviews on television and radio. So it was, actually became quite popular that first book. And since then, we've been writing ever since. And we, I think, this uh, least book is our fifteenth book. It's been uh, all many of the books are in different languages now around the world. So wow. it's been. And so the key here, the key here. Like you said, and I totally agree with you, that people remember and maybe will treat animals differently because of a wonderful, beautiful story that they read. Statistics and other elements really don't come into their way of viewing life or animals, but they might experience a story, read a story, and they think, oh, oh, okay, I understand that now. Yeah. Yeah, the the story brings it home. It's like we relate to it. We see ourselves in the story. And we know it's possible for us too, yeah. whether it's good or bad. So yeah, oh, how wonderful! I I so honor um, the work that you've done and the the love that you brought into the world, the light, the healing, the inspiration, the joy, the partnership. You know, I I know that your work in many ways is helping us all become better humans, <laughs> which which means that we can then also help our animals become the magical beings that they truly are, uh, you know. So, oh, I just feel so full right now. Thank you so much. Well, thank you so much for having me. Yeah, so you took all that and you created the Angel Animals Network. Yes. Yeah. And yeah. We, uh, we, to this day, we're still collecting stories, sending our newsletter out. Now it's online because there's an cool. Internet. <laughs> well, and so how would people get a hold of that? How would how would our uh, our listener, uh, what would you like them to do next? Well, if you would like uh, to subscribe, it's a free newsletter. Go, just go to angelanimals.net and uh, click on subscribe, and uh, you'll get a, a confirmation letter, and you, you'll be able to start getting the weekly newsletter with people sharing their stories and a new, it's a new story every week, so I think it's kind of fun. And we get emails from everyone saying how much they enjoy it, and sometimes they they read it at night before going to bed because it's, it really helps them sleep when they're uh, thinking about something pleasant before going to bed. That's wonderful. Ah, okay, so it's uh, www.angelanimals.net. Yes. A n g e l a n i m a l s dot net angelanimals.net so absolutely in fact I don't know how I missed that but I need to just subscribe myself I'm going to do that right now as soon as we hang up (laughs) (laughs) Um, and then I I know that you also have um, a website just for this wonderful book A Dog Named Leaf Um, and it is that is the title of the website as well adognamedleaf.com and you have some excerpts of the book and stuff there as well Oh, it's so good. Uh, anything else for us today, Alan? Well, one of the things about the dog named Leaf, and I think this is something that is kind of fun, I sent out uh, the manuscript to people that I would never expect to endorse the book. Wow. And they did. As a matter of fact, they did with such enthusiasm. We're talking about people that are best-selling New York uh, New York Times authors. Mm-hmm. We're talking about PhDs that, that have no belief in anything spiritual, but when they read the book, they talked about how special 
this particular story was in that connection. Uh, Dr. Marty Becker, who's the vet for Good Morning America and Dr. Oz show, mm-hmm. said this is truly the most unusual book ever, dog book ever. I mean, wow. it was wonderful getting these endorsements. Wow. Uh, the person who, uh, one uh, the author said uh, after she read the book, she had to lie down for a little while because it was really affected her very deeply. Wow. So it was it was nice to have that kind of reinforcement because I just didn't know. Now, Leif and I manned up, and we went ahead and wrote the book, but I just didn't know how regular folks would, would react to a story that mixes spirituality and yeah. that relationship between uh, an individual and the uh, canine companion. Yes, I, I, I so love that. One of my favorite quotes I'll share with you is by Helen Keller. Uh, you may remember Helen Keller, the yes. blind, mm-hmm. um, blind and deaf, I believe, mm-hmm. uh, lecturer and author, amazing woman. She said, when we do the best we can, we never know what miracle is wrought in our life or in the life of another. Wow. And it seems to me that what you and Leif did by manning up and sharing your story, it's like you did not know what a difference it would make in the world. Um, But the truth is you've made an incredible contribution um, to making us all better people. So thank you. Well, we you, certainly Anna. need to be better people. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I just wanted to say this is really exciting for me because I had only met him one time and it was from a distance. But last night we did our uh, our uh, book launch at Common Good Books. Oh, yeah, yeah, in good. St. Paul. Good. And uh, Garrison Keeler came by to uh, give his support of the book, which was oh. really nice. Wow, that's awesome. It's just awesome. I mean, he's such a popular person in Minnesota, yeah. and, and that was his bookstore, so he uh, he was able to come by, and I uh, got a picture with him and all. And for some reason, it just meant a lot to me because he uh, has always been someone I've dearly respected in his yeah. beautiful way he told stories and, yes. and all of yeah. his talent. <sighs> Congratulations. Thanks, Alan. Oh, you're welcome. Thank you so much. Okay, everybody, so we've been speaking with Alan Anderson uh, of A Dog Named Leaf. Thanks so much for your time today. Thank you for sharing your heart with us and for your love of animals. (sighs) And I'm looking forward to what you do next. (laughs) So stay in touch, Alan. I sure will. Thank you very much. Okay, you're welcome. It's been a pleasure. Thanks for listening to the show. For more information or to listen to other podcasts, go to valhart.com forward slash blog. And if you're someone who values a non-invasive, holistic solution to resolving problems with your dogs, cats, and horses, and you want better behaved, healthier, and happier animals, just go to my website at valhart.com to apply for a complimentary happy animal assessment session. And be sure and remember to look for my CDs on iTunes. Learning how to talk with animals is fun and will change your life. So while you're there at my site, get my free Quick Start Animal Talk course and check out the world's first complete animal communication made easy system. May the love of animals bless you, teach you, inspire you, heal you, and reconnect you to the circle of life. Mm